Good morning, friends from Radiant. And for those who aren't at Radiant, friends no less, thank you so much for tuning in this morning. I wanted to give a message, a Monday morning message recap for those who couldn't make um, our gathering yesterday morning as a church community. We we took a a deep and fast dive into this small little theme called the mercy of God together. As I've been walking through this journey with the Lord since really the beginning of February, just learning how to just rely on him more and more for every breath and every step, I have just been caught up in this this theme, this idea of how merciful our God is, how he's so full of of, of compassion and sympathy. Uh, The Bible says he was made fully human just like us in Hebrews chapter 2 so that he could fully empathize and understand with our weakness. It says in Psalm 103 that God obviously knows that as he made us to bear his image, he is fully acquainted with our frame. And because he so wanted to identify with us, he sent his son, the incarnate word, whom the God made flesh, and he lived among us. He lived as one of us, fully experiencing the full gamut and bandwidth of the human reality, motions and ups and downs and relationship struggles and tragedies, triumphs, heartaches, joys, sorrows, and the like, temptations, etc. Except in Jesus' case, he was sinless. And so he lived in the tension of all of that, but yet kept the constant dialogue, communion, and connection with his father alive and active, which is just stunning. And so I made the argument yesterday that if you, like if you are a golfer, if you're into sports, there's, or, or if you're just say, want to be a healthy human, there's this thing called muscle memory where you do something enough with repetition that it becomes second nature. And as I was prayer walking before um, sharing the word with God's people yesterday, the Lord was like, Chad, my people need to develop mercy memory. They, we can't afford to ever lose sight of how much God has showered us with his mercy, his compassion, his pity, his empathy, his sympathy, that he, he's not treated us, as the Bible says, according to our sins and how, the, how we've deserved to be treated. That's his amazing mercy. In Psalm 130, it says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. So as mercy makes a way for forgiveness, for repentance, for restoring relationship, his mercy makes a way for empowered service, but without the mercy of God. I love Lamentations 3.23. Each morning, his loving kindness and his tender mercies are brand new. God's disposition towards sinners, towards saints, towards the broken, towards those who are crushing it, towards the whole human race is one of mercy. He doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. He is a God of infinite patience, total holiness, total purity, total righteousness, but total mercy, full of compassion and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. If you read the story of Jonah, which I encouraged our people to do yesterday, it's only four chapters, it takes like seven minutes to read. 
essentially the prophet Jonah is angry because God is so merciful that God would treat Jonah's and Israel's enemies with mercy was an offensive fact that caused Jonah to actually want to die because he was so enraged. Why would you show the Ninevites mercy, God? And that's why he runs away. That's why he doesn't want to be God's messenger. He doesn't want to go announce judgment's coming, but he will relent if you repent, Ninevites, city of Nineveh. And of course they do. They turn, they put on sackcloth and ashes, they repent, they turn from their sin, and God relents from sending judgment, and the prophet's mad. Now, any other preacher would be stoked of that kind of response, but we're talking about the mercy of God. The mercy of God is offensive to us because we believe the blood of Jesus often is uh, sufficient enough for our sins for our treason against God's law and God's ways, for our rebellion, for our mistakes, not just once or 10 times or a thousand times, but we can't believe his mercy would be good enough for those we deem our enemies, those we deem to be beyond the reach of his redemptive love and outstretched arm. So Jonah is this powerful four-chapter picture that just offends us, that God wants to treat the ones we view as our enemies the same way he's treated us in his mercy and his kindness and his love. And I, I argued yesterday that the day in which we're, days in which we live, in which we're entering, the church cannot afford just to be, yes, we're enraged by injustice, we're enraged by the various agendas and ideologies that are, are hijacking a generation, confusing them and, and and their identity and their purpose and even their gender. And we're enraged by these things because you're messing with God's innocent children as image bearers. But I'm concerned as a pastor and just as a son and a brother and a friend that we go from rage to rage to rage to rage and we lose sight of the mercy of God, that we were not friends of God when Jesus came and knocked on the door of our hearts. We were enemies of God, the Bible says in Colossians 1. We were still sinners far from God, Romans 5.8, when he said, perfect time for my son to lay down a love sacrifice on the cross so that they can be won back to relationship to me because of my grace and my mercy. And so we just talked about how, how offensive God's mercy is. He doesn't treat any of us, our enemies and those on the other side, on the other team, however you view them, the other, he has showered mercy on all. Jesus painted the picture for us in Matthew 5 that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is God the Father's disposition towards us. Does that mean it turns a blind eye to sin? No, of course not. He put all the sins of the world into the very body of his son Jesus. This is why John could say in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why Peter could say in 1 Peter Chapter two, that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray, but now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So the God, God being merciful has nothing to do with God not taking sin serious. He took sin so serious that he, he actually presented a remedy for the sin problem of all of creation and all of humanity by putting the sin of the world into and upon his son, Jesus Christ, the innocent, sinless, perfect, and pure lamb of God. So he's not, he's not a God who takes sin lightly, but if he treated us the way all of our sins deserve, that would be a full-time job for God. That's what we talked about yesterday. 
It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, that Christ came in the world to be God's reconciling ambassador, his means to reconcile a rebellious, treasonous, sinful world to himself. But it says this very specifically in those verses, that that God was not counting men's, our sins against us. He counted all of our sins against his son, Jesus Christ. If you read the word picture in Colossians 2, 11 through 15, that the ledger of our legal indebtedness, of all of the ways we've sinned and broken the law of God, the ways of God, the will of God, all the ways we've, we've shirked and, and refused the wisdom of God, and all of those ways, it says that Jesus Christ took our ledger of legal indebtedness, all of the debts we legally should have had to pay because of our sinfulness and rebellion, and he erased our name at the top of that incalculable ledger and he put his son Jesus Christ at the top of that ledger. He took our charge of legal indebtedness and he he hammered that thing into his son on the cross. So God being merciful as we talked about yesterday because many of us care about righteousness, we care about justice, we care about our cities, we care about our schools, we care about our culture. We care about the craziness and chaos of the hour in which we live. But friends, we can't lose sight in this hour of the mercy of God the mercy of God. However righteous or just your cause and your concerns are for the next generation, for your family, for our cities, for our church, for our nation, for the nations of the earth, the mercy of God has to stay right at the core of all of those thought processes, all of those righteous endeavors, or, or, or we'll turn into Pharisees. We'll forget that the mercy he had on us, he actually wants to have on every person on the planet, even those we view as beyond the reach of God's redemptive love and outstretched hand. And so I'm just, I'm asking for, like I just started picking up golf and I swing different every time. I don't have the muscle memory yet. I don't have a second nature response to actually hit the golf ball consistently straight. Don't, don't hate, I'm terrible at golf. And I, I argue that the church, we, me, I, we need to have the Holy Spirit give us mercy memory. I love Paul in, in 1, 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. He's like, he has this living example that he would never lose sight of the mercy and grace of God because he, he, he viewed himself as the chief of sinners. And he says, the reason why God had mercy and grace on me was to show that no one is beyond his reach. In my zeal, I wanted to murder Christians and shut Jesus and his church down until he blinded me and didn't treat me as my sins deserved, but he gave me a pathway forward into relationship, into identity, into purpose, and into a new mission for life. Now not over and against God, but in continuity with and submission to God as an instrument of his righteousness and of his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Paul said, the reason God chose me was was so that I would be a living example of no one is beyond his reach. No one is beyond the reach and scope of his mercy and his redemptive grace. Uh, you know, Matthew, he's, he ends that whole passage. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And then he, Matthew ends that little chunk in Matthew 5, 48 with be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And we're like, what? Be perfect, in other words, what he's saying is the, the telos of your discipleship to me, the telos of having gift righteousness, not just change your standing with me, but change your operational reality in a broken world. If you let that righteousness work its way down and through and out of your life, the telos of your life is you'll become 
just like the Father. You'll treat each person the same with dignity, with respect, with tenderness, with love, with redemptive hope. You won't view them in a 2 Corinthians 5, 16 worldly point of view, but you'll view them through the lens of the cross, the lens of the redemptive possibility that the God of infinite mercy and kindness and grace, if he could do something in your life and in mine, he could do it in anyone's life at any time no matter how broken or bound or confused or cloudy their understanding is. This is the mercy of God. Luke, in the same passage, that's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's version. Luke got the Sermon on the Plain, poor guy, as a Bible joke. But anyway, Luke's version at the same, as the same passage is not be perfect as your father is perfect. Luke says, be merciful as your father is merciful. And isn't his mercy perfect? This is how God treats, he doesn't treat us as we are deserved to be treated. He's merciful. He has pity, he has compassion and understanding and empathy and sympathy. He's not God light on sin. He hates sin. He put it on his son. He paid for it, but he makes a way in his mercy. I love 2 Peter 3, in this patient dispensation of God, he hasn't returned. Christ hasn't come. He hasn't a second time. He hasn't consummated yet. He hasn't brought justice and full judgment to the world and the nations of the earth. Because of his patience, Peter says, this means salvation. In his mercy, he's withholding wrath. He's withholding bringing full justice and judgment on the world because he wants sinners to repent and to be reconciled to himself through his son, Jesus, through the winsome witness and proclamation of his church and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the mercy of God. He is so merciful. Luke says, be merciful just like your father in heaven is merciful. James paints this picture. He says, speak and act in James 2.12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That law that gives freedom is that, that inner law, that Jeremiah 31, 33, that law that he etches on the regenerate heart. When we're born again, he writes that law, that, that external law brought death. It only revealed our necessity for a savior and how deeply sinful we were. But when we, when we turn to the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3 says, our, the veil is removed from our face and he etches his righteous law and its requirements on our new our new heart, Ezekiel 36, 23 through 27, that new heart that has the spirit etched law of God on heart and mind, that law is now a law that gives freedom instead of a law that just reveals, that just brings death. He's saying, because, of, because you couldn't obey until you were regenerated, treat other people the same way. Until they're born again, they can't obey either. So show mercy. Maybe that mercy will create a window of opportunity to respond in, in, in repentance and faith. Maybe you not treating your enemy as you think they deserve to be treated would actually be that Holy Spirit douse of cold water that would shock their system like the prodigal in the, in the sheep in the, the pig pen where he comes to his senses and realizes this is not what I'm meant to live out of. This is not my story. The mercy of God, friends. We need mercy memory. We need a download of mercy, especially in these days of tr just deep divide and line and hatred. We just hate each other. We just do. 
Our social media feeds just feed the frenzy of rage and anger and, and cynicism and sarcasm. And all of this is working against what Peter is saying, speak and, I'm sorry, James is saying, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. You, you guys had, it wasn't your idea to come to me, Jesus said. I chose you out of this world, out of your sin. Never lose sight. I was the main actor. I was the originator. I was the pioneer. I was the author. I was the one who wooed and drew you and called you to myself. It wasn't your idea. This is the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He longs to shower mercy on America, on our cities, on our families, on the nations of the earth. He longs to, he longs to shower mercy. He longs to shower mercy. He longs to relent, just like Jonah's day in Nineveh. He, he, he gives windows. I read it somewhere this morning in my devotions. I don't have the reference by memory, but he longs to bring the nations into the, the worship and festive life of his people in Zion. He, he wants the nations reconciled. He wants families re redeemed and reconciled. This is his disposition towards us as the merciful God, the two Corinthians one. He's the God of all mercy. If you remember that parable, that story that's so vivid in Matthew 18 where this servant of this master owes him 10,000 bags of gold and the master takes him, he throws him in prison until he can pay it back and he begs for mercy and the master relents and he forgives all of his debt. It's an amazing passage. <laughs> it's us. And then that same dude who had 10,000 bags of gold pardoned because of the sheer mercy of his master, he goes and finds a friend who owes him 100 silver coins, 10,000 bags of gold, 100 silver coins, and he grabs him by the neck, throws him in his prison, and slaves him as his... As his and, is a servant and he says, you won't get out until you've paid me back my 100 coins. Well, some of his buddies see how dude who was pardoned 10,000 bags of gold threw a friend into prison and the master came back and he recredited all of the debt he pardoned back into the guy's account because he didn't show mercy after receiving the mercy of God. Friends, this is terrifying, if we're honest. This is why Jesus said, if, you don't, if you're not merciful like I am, you're not gonna receive my mercy. If you don't forgive others the way I've forgiven you, you won't be forgiven. These are the parts of the gospel we usually basically ignore or try to theologize away, but this is how serious God takes his mercy. I, he's like, I forgave you 10,000 bags of gold and you're gonna enslave a friend who owes you 100 silver coins? You forgot my mercy. You forgot your story, brother, sister. And I, that's my, that's my whole, that was my whole argument yesterday and today on this online preaching message. We can't lose sight or memory of God's mercy and what he's done for us. None of us were deserving. That's the problem when we're in a self-made culture and, you know, of affluence and, you know, we, we, we confuse our, our sort of cultural values of self-made with the gospel reality that none of us are worthy recipients of his kindness and mercy, but he showers it anyway because he's so kind, gracious, and merciful. Shouldn't you have had mercy is how Jesus ended that, that uh, parable. Shouldn't you have had mercy just like I had mercy on you? 
if you remember the, the self-righteous teacher of the law, you know, when he's like, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, neighbor as yourself, Luke 10. And he's like, he wanted to justify himself and he wanted a clear mark of delineation of who his neighbor was and who his neighbor wasn't. And beloved, anytime you wanna know where the line is of those that you have to love and those that you don't have to love, you're in, you're in, you're in foul territory. He's all, who is my neighbor? And then he gives the great, you know, the Good Samaritan story. The Levite and the priest, they walk by, ignore a dude who's bludgeoned and bloody and beaten on the side of the road. Then this, this half-breed Samaritan, despised by the Jewish people, he's the hero of the story, picks him up, pours on oil and wine, doesn't just pay for one night in the, in the hotel, but however much he needs to stay to recover, he says, put it on my tab. And then Jesus asked the teacher of the law, who do you think was the, the neighbor in the story? And guess what the, the self-righteous teacher of the law said? He goes, the one who had mercy on him. Showing mercy is how we fulfill the, the command to love our neighbor. Showing mercy. We don't treat people the way they deserve. If that's how God treated us, we wouldn't be here. It's the mercy and kindness of God, beloved. It's offensive because we, we lose sight of how far we were from God and how how deep and steep of a cost it, it, in the blood of his son it cost him to reconcile and redeem us to himself. We can't lose sight of it. Just like in athletics, muscle memory, we can't, we can't lose sight of mercy memory. We need to, we, we can't. We, so many of us are cynical and critical and we're just, it's because of our, our cultural moment and social media culture and just that feeding frenzy scrolling in the night hours and the morning hours when you're using the restroom here, there, and everywhere. And it just feeds this frenzy of rage and anger, rage and anger, us versus them. It just, it's what the enemy is doing in this hour. And God's like, you can't lose sight of mercy. You can't afford to. If you don't have mercy on others the way I've had mercy on you, it's not a good end to your story. Praise God that when we feel like we can't show mercy, there's a throne of grace and, and mercy that we can approach. Hebrews chapter four, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, that which we don't deserve, and find grace, that which we could never earn, God's enabling power to help us in our time of need. Chad, how do I show mercy? Go to the God of mercy and ask him for more. How do I, how do I just am angry. I don't like this agenda that's happening right now in our cold. I don't like that person. I don't like my colleague at work. I, my neighbor's driving me crazy. God, don't let me lose sight of mercy. You just, you just have a dialogue with Jesus. Lord, I can't afford to view them the way I'm viewing them right now because that's not how you viewed me, Jesus. Help me and heal me. Give me your eyes of love and compassion and mercy. I love that story in Luke 18 of the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee's like, amazing, I fast every week, I give a lot of money to the poor, I'm pretty righteous, I'm pretty good. He has an eye problem, he needs a Holy Spirit up tall. That was my joke yesterday. Probably not funny in the digital space, but if you underline how many times the guy has the word I in his prayer, he has an eye problem. I fast, I give, I'm this, I'm that. I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. I'm glad I'm, 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 e, me, me. La, he has an eye problem. And then the, the sinner, the tax collector, doesn't even look up to heaven. He just beats his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus pulls the, the rug out from the listeners and he, he gives the punchline. Those who exalt, that guy, 
the sinner, not the self-righteous, self-made man. He's gonna one who's going home before my eyes justified as if he'd never sinned, totally pure, totally clean, totally innocent because he, 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 he appealed to me not on his righteous acts and records, but on he appealed to my mercy. God, don't treat me as my sins deserve. My sins are many, but you are a God of infinite forgiveness, healing, and grace. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. And Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Blessed are the merciful, Matthew 5, 7, for they will be shown mercy. It's the mercy of God. My prayer is that he would give us mercy lenses, that we would see people through the eyes of Jesus himself. We don't view each other after the flesh, after our sin, after our brokenness and bondage. We don't turn blind eyes to those things. We're not digging our hand, head into the sand, but we just realize it's the mercy of God that creates a window. And then when the gospel is demonstrated and declared, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to show the sinner his or her reality on the inside and how deeply they need a savior, but then to lift their, their, their eyes and to cause their dead heart to come alive when they lock eyes with the sole supreme and sufficient savior, Jesus Christ. The one, I love this verse, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. This is the mercy of God. He counted all of my sin, all of your sin, all of the world's sins, not against us, but against his son. He took our place as the propitiation of our sin, that, that sufficient lamb who took our sins into his body. He was nailed to the tree, and from the cross, those words that Luke accounts for us, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What a God we serve, a God of mercy. And then I landed the plane, last passage in Romans 12. So famous passage, but the whole point of it is, well, I'll just read it. Paul, he's ending his argument of, of how God is weaving his redemptive story through the, the, rebellion, the rebellion of Israel, his people, and how their rebellion meant the gospel was now sent to the Gentiles, the nations, that God was having mercy on those that weren't seeking him, Gentiles, by birth. And that when, when the Jewish people eventually see how God's mercy is transforming the nations, they're gonna want to receive God's mercy back. <laughs> That's this passage. Let me just read it because it's so good. It's worth commenting. Just as you were at one time disobedient, Gentiles, and the nations, to God, but now you've received mercy as a result of their disobedience, the hardening in part of Israel, the Jewish people, so that the gospel would go to the nations. So they too have now become disobedient, the Jewish people, Israel, in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. So there's this provocation of jealousy and envy on the inside of the Jewish people when they see the church of Jew, Gentile, slave, free, young and old, male and female from all the nations of the earth, walking and receiving and being transformed by the mercy of God. Somehow in God's redemptive storyline, they're gonna say, we want that mercy too. Israel, the Jewish people. Verse 32, Romans 11, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. So, so that's the context for this next part. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, so what's the point of this message? What am I supposed to do in light of God's mercy? Well, this actually answers the question, what should we do? If this is how good God is and how merciful he is, what's our response? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what? God's mercy. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is our response to the mercy of God? Full surrender. The total yielding up of our bodies. That's all for you, Lord. If this is how good you are, how kind you are, how merciful you are, what else could I do but just give you everything? You didn't treat me as I deserve to be treated. You are merciful. You are kind. You are compassionate. You are gracious. You are good. I offer it all in view of your mercy. And now you're going to need to transform my mind because the, the mindset of the world and of the flesh is not a mercy mindset. It's us versus them. It's mine and not yours. It's, it's good enough for me, but not good enough for you. That's the world mindset. Pecking order, earn your way, fix your own mess. But having a mindset where in view of God's mercy, he renews us and reminds us of how good he is and how he was able to work in spite of us to fulfill his redemptive, uh, pop, uh, redemptive purposes. That mindset then begins to transform us from the inside out. And then we're able to have a new mindset and we offer ourselves and then we can walk in the goodness of God because we'll be able to discern his will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's our response to the mercy of God. Fall on the rock, you'll be broken to pieces, but he'll put your broken pieces back together, Matthew 21. But if that rock at the end of the age and you don't respond to his mercy, that very word that came to bring liberation from your sin, came to bring life, it came to bring salvation. That same word will be the word that brings your ultimate demise and judgment because you refused to respond to the mercy of God. Oh, in view of God's mercy, I offer all that I have, all that I am to you. And then give me a new mind and a mercy mindset. So Father, I pray just for my friends today those who would watch this or listen later, that you would give us a vision of your mercy. A vision that, God, we would be swept up into this storyline of God's mercy and that we wouldn't grow cynical, critical, self-righteous, pharisaical, arrogant, self-reliant. Uh, Lord, we just want no part of that story. We want to be like you, Jesus. You're always getting in trouble because you're eating with the wrong people. Why does your master eat with sinners? Doesn't he know what kind of woman is, is weeping at his feet? Do, why is he hanging out with those folks? Lord Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to be a God full of mercy, full of compassion. It was your compassion that drove you to pray, to send out laborers, to shepherd the harassed and helpless sheep who've got no life-giving leadership in their life. Lord, would you send us this week as those laborers in your harvest field, those who've been marked by your mercy, to give mercy, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. This is what you require of us. 
And Lord, we offer all that we are to you because you offered all that you are to us. What else should our response be but this? In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you're beyond the reach of God, just say, in Jesus' name, devil, shut up, because that's a lie. That's a lie. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. There's nothing that he cannot bring healing to, as difficult as it might be, because he has infinite patience and kindness and mercy and love for you and for me today. So bless you. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy.